0: We're in a series that I'm called GRIT, and last week I explained to you that the GRIT is an acronym for guts, and I used that word and talked to several people, so just to be sure it wasn't offensive. Um, But for me, guts is courage, Uh, resiliency is the R, the I is integrity, and then the T is tenaciousness. We looked at, last week, the grid of Jesus and how that the lessons we could learn, though we will never be exactly like Jesus, it's our goal that each day the Lord will make us a little more and more like Jesus. Some of the lessons we learned from Jesus' life was he never forgot who he was. He was the Son of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans, they would have liked Jesus, if Jesus had simply conformed to what he wanted them to be. And we talked about some of the pressures in our world to conform to be what others would like us to be. We looked at how the Holy Spirit living in us helps us to resist that conformity to the world and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and our hearts through the Spirit of God and the Word of God we looked at how jesus his grit we learned from him he never lost focus on what he came to do he came to set to save the lost he came to die for our sins and though it was painful it wasn't a grittiness like he gritted his teeth and bore it it was out of a heart of love for the father and it was out of a heart of love for you and me we looked at how jesus surrounded himself, and I reworded small groups to say a trusted group, people that he knew he could do life with and he could trust them. He could trust his heart. He could trust them with praying with him, suffering with him, walking with him, rejoicing with him, and how important it is for us to learn from Jesus, who not only loved the multitudes, but Jesus loved and fed those who came, he shared with them his life, his love. But out of the multitudes, there was about 500, and then there were 70, and then there were 12, then there were three, and there was one. And we looked at how important it is that we have those sorts of relationships in our life. And I'm so grateful that through all the years of my having been a Christian, God has given me trusted Friends, and trusted people to do life with. I'm so glad that I can stand here after 40 plus years in the ministry and tell you I have friends that have never gossiped about me, never stuck a knife in me, never emotionally wounded me. They have been like iron sharpening iron at times. And how many of you know when that happens, sparks can fly. They have been that in my life. And I'm so thankful for those friends. It was some of them that were calling me yesterday and calling me old man. They can get away with that. Because we've done life together for so many years. Well, this morning, I want to take a look at another one of my heroes in this series called Grit and some lessons we can learn from him. Where we're going to look at the life of Daniel. And I'm going to cover the first six chapters of Daniel. And when Becky called me one day this week, and she said, well, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, well, Sunday, I'm I'm talking about Daniel. She said, are you still doing six chapters? And I go, yeah. She goes, Dennis, you know how you can get sometime. Don't dump the whole truckload on them. You know, just, you know, she's, you'll never understand how Becky intercedes for you. (laughs) Things could be a whole lot worse. And I just really have just sifted and sifted and, I want to dedicate this message to a lady called Kate Holloman, And in my little church that we grew up in, we all called her Sister Kate. Now we weren't Catholic, but that's what we called her was Sister Kate. And I can still remember her flannel graph stories. And I want to tell you something. As a dad, as a pastor, as a former youth pastor, I don't care how many good videos are produced. I don't care how many good PowerPoints are produced. Nothing, in my opinion, will ever replace the power of a flannel graph. I have such vivid memories of Sister Kate. And she would put those flannel graph pictures of Daniel choosing not to defile himself with the king's food. Of Daniel lifting his hands in prayer. Of Shadrach, Meshach. And we called Abednego, to bed we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. I can hear her high voice, as she would tell us. Now, boys and girls, this is Daniel. And God wants to make a Daniel out of you. Look at Daniel, he loved the Lord. Do you love the, Dennis, sit down, be quiet. Dennis, pay attention. I mean that was your sister Kate. She ruled with an iron fist. She loved me as a child. She would come stand at my hospital bed through all those surgeries and pray with my mother and dad. She supported me while I went to college. She would travel to hear me preach. She carried pictures of me in her wallet. She called me her little miracle. I loved Kate Holloman. And this message that I'm going to share with you today, Kate taught me this many, many years ago. So, Father, I ask you now in the name of Jesus, would you just tell Kate how much I love her? The book of Hebrews tells us that we have now come unto Mount Zion Lord, a city where we're surrounded by the multitudes of those who've died in faith and gone on ahead of us who worship you. And also myriad of angels. Daniel's there, Lord. Kate's there. And I ask you to help us as we look at these lessons today that, God, you will develop the guts, the resiliency, the integrity, and the tenaciousness we need to be passionate followers of Christ in our world today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're living in a time with more than any other time in my memory, and I lived watching Walter Cronkite narrate the news about Vietnam all the way through the wars that we've been in today. There's a great sense of pessimism, and there's a great sense of optimism in our country today. There are pessimists who believe that the world is coming to an end. There are pessimists who believe that all hope is gone. And there are optimists who believe that the best is yet to come, the best is yet to be. And as I study Christians today, and I try to keep up on things not only out of my interest, but for you and in preaching the word, I find that there are two camps in Christianity, two extremes, I should say, not two camps, but two extremes. There are those Christians who are convinced that the world is coming to an end and they're buying up guns and fuel and they're, they're the Christian preppers, if you've ever seen that show before, they're ready for the end times. I talk to some of those people sometimes. Michigan happens to have a lot of them that live here in our state. And then you have those other people on the far other end of the spectrum is that they just believe that if you're living for Christ, you should never have any problems. There should never be any sickness, there should never be any illness. As a matter of fact, if you're living for Christ and saying the right thing and doing the right things, then your life is just always going to go swimmingly and you'll never have any challenges. Both of these camps are at odds with each other, but I have found myself over the years and through the study of the scripture. I fell somewhere in between the middle because I know that our Savior is true, that this world is going to wrap up in history as we know it is going to wrap up. But it's not going to wrap up because the world is out of control. It's going to wrap up because God says it's time. And I also know that God is an answer of our prayers and that Jesus told us that if we can believe, then anything is possible. But it's not the kind of belief that I say to you, well, if you can believe it, you can achieve it, but it's a, a believing and following through upon the word of the Lord. I think at this time in our life, we find ourselves at a crossroads in history where we have to choose. Woody Allen was greeting a college, or doing a college commencement, and. These are the words that he said. More than any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness, the other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. When I read that statement, of course, Woody told it in his own sense of humor and the way that he has, that unusual sense of humor that he has. and People were laughing, but if you pay attention to the words, and it's always important to pay attention to the words, There's not really a choice there. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other path leads to total extinction. Friends, God has got everything under control. And rather than us live in fear and rather than us live in worry, we are called today to live by faith just like our ancestors are living by faith. You see, all of us are going to face personal tragedies. All of us are going to deal with the consequences of whatever political party is in power. All of us are going to deal with the effects of whatever global warming is taking place. All of us are going to feel the effects of war. All of us are going to feel the effects of whatever decisions in whatever country we happen to live in. All of us are going to feel those effects. Right now, those who come before the missions committee that I'm a part of for the district, for the state of Michigan, we're warning young people who come and ask us. They apply, they request permission. They're wanting to go serve in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. They're wanting to go serve in places where it could cost them their life. We have someone from Michigan right now that is in prison in a foreign country that I can't talk about because of their faith in Jesus Christ and the work that they're doing. We're living in a time where you can find it on the internet freely of why certain people groups think it's all right to kill Christians and are encouraged to kill Christians, are encouraged to take up arms and to kill Christians in their nations and where they live at. And it's not just fundamentalistic Islamic terrorists, it's other groups as well who hate what we stand for as passionate followers of Jesus Christ. But as I read the story of Daniel and I read and remember what Sister Kate taught me as a child, there is a courage and there is resilience, there is an integrity that I aspire to, and there is a tenaciousness that just will not let me go. Because there's something I've come to understand, and I want you to hear this closely. I see it in the life of David. I see it in the life of Daniel. And that is the closer you get to the throne, the more challenges you're going to face. The closer David got to the throne, the more spears he had to dodge that Saul would throw at him. And the closer that Daniel got to the throne and the place of power, the more more dodges that he had to make and God's intervention had to be there. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of the Lord, and let me read several passages to you and kind of give you a little bit of background. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, now this is where Jerusalem was, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord, notice that, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now it's important to note that God gave his city, his temple, his people over to Nebuchadnezzar. You ask why? Because after hundreds of years of the prophets calling them to repentance, they had failed to repent of their sins. And there were immoralities and things that are not even fitting to speak about in public that were taking place not only in people's homes, but taking place in the very temple of God himself. So Nebuchadnezzar was sent by God, allowed by God. He didn't know that, but allowed by God to conquer the city. This has got to throw a young teenage Daniel, 17 years old. His parents and those of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably would have been killed. Now, Daniel is taken into captivity. He goes into what Augustine would call the city of man. He goes into Babylon. He goes into the place that no good Jew would want to be. If you grew up in a church like I grew up in, every once in a while you would hear somebody say, come out of Babylon and take no part of it. Babylon represented everything that was evil in this world. But in that world of Babylon, Daniel did well. And the reason that Daniel did well is because he kept faith with God. Daniel was determined in verse 8 of chapter 1, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given them to by the king. There were religious reasons for Jews that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. So Daniel asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat those, accept, those unacceptable foods. Now God, notice again the emphasis upon God, now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. The king had commanded and demanded that they eat a certain diet because he thought that would be good for them. The diet would have offended God. The diet would have gone against his religious heritage. So he asked this steward to allow them just to eat vegetables and water. How many of you have heard of something called the Daniel fast? Sure you have. Lotus, a very popular book in the last few years written by Pastor Rick Warren. This is where that fast comes from, this passage of Scripture. So Daniel and his three friends, they eat only vegetables and water, and they fare better because God was with them. Notice in verse 17, God gave these four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom And God, notice again, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Heavenly Father, as we work through these six chapters briefly this morning, I'm asking you, would you spark ideas? Would you answer questions? Would you strengthen our faith? And above all, would you give us the grit that we need today to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Let me share another verse of Scripture here with you because if you're reading your Bible through in a year, you might get to this passage and just read over it and not stop and think about it. The Bible says in verse 21 of chapter 1, Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Now, what you have to recognize is This is a period of about 70 years. How many of you know when Harry Truman became president? April of 1945. So imagine that you're a royal advisor to successive empires for 70 years. Imagine being a royal advisor or being a presidential advisor for this long in a period of time from every president from President Truman all the way to President Trump today. God gave Daniel a special aptitude and a special challenge. And if you grasp the whole scope of this and these four empires that he served, I want to skip ahead to chapter two now because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in his dream, he comes to his astrologers. He comes to his wise men. And remember what I said last week, you want a trusted group of friends? Nebuchadnezzar had lost trust in his advisors. Nebuchadnezzar had lost trust in the people who surrounded him and gave advice. Occasionally, we will hear the scandal of somebody being fired from any president's cabinet because they betrayed his trust or they betrayed his confidence. Sometimes they will write a book in order to get back at the president. There have been numbers of those kinds of books written over the year. So Nebuchadnezzar had come to the place where he no longer trusted his advisors. And so he had this dream that deeply troubled him. And so he said to his advisors, you've got to tell me the meaning of this dream. And he said, in order to know that you're telling me the truth, you're not flattering me. You're not just telling me something you think I want to hear. He said, you've also got to tell me what I dream. Well, all of these advisors and astrologers, they're aghast. Who can tell the king what he dreamed, they tell him. They said, the king, no one can do this. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's anger gets more intense, and he orders that all of the wise men and all of the astrologers that they're going to be executed because they couldn't tell him his dream, nor could they tell him the meaning of the dream. They're literally quaking in their boots. Well, Daniel at this time must have been unknown by Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, according to history, was the most powerful emperor king that ever lived before. More powerful than a Stalin, more powerful than any British monarch, more powerful than any other person in history. He's the one that built the famed hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon was a city that with four horses, according to history, according to four horses, they could pull seven chariots with four horses just around the top of the walls of Babylon. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. So Nebuchadnezzar literally holds the power of life and death in his hand. This unknown young man by the name of Daniel hears about this, requests an audience with the king. These astrologers and wise men, they're so desperate, they get him this audience with the king. And Daniel comes to him and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, no one can tell you your dream. He goes, look with me at verse 27 in chapter 2. There are no wise men, no enchanters, no magicians or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Now, he's saying something to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar, like so many other emperors, thought he was a God. As a matter of fact, we're going to read later about how he built an idol just to himself. So he's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, here's your first indication that he's challenging the king King, there is somebody superior to you. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. Now, this is astounding. He is going to be able to tell the king everything he dreamed in vivid, technicolor detail. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. Notice the humility. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. It has been said, if you don't care who gets the credit, you can get anything done. But could I take that just a step further? If you will not touch the glory of God, God can use you for anything. And the reason that sometimes I don't believe more signs and wonders and more miracles like we sang about this morning that we don't see happening in our lives is because we refuse to give the glory and the honor to God. And we want to take credit for that for ourselves. Imagine the promotion. Imagine what would have happened for Daniel if Daniel had come in and passed himself off because God had blessed him with the understanding of this dream. Imagine how Daniel would have been feared and held in reference by everyone in the kingdom, including Nebuchadnezzar. But instead, he decides to celebrate God's love by persuading people, by persuading Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? The vision that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar told him there were going to be four successive empires. The first one, it was this vision of an idol. It was a head of gold, which was was Darius, excuse me, which was Nebuchadnezzar. And then there would be the Medio Empire, Medio Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empires, and I won't take time to bore you with all that detail. But what I want you to see here is that God is in control of all of history. At verse 37, Daniel goes on and he says, Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world, and he's even put the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. Now, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar liked hearing this with this caveat. He didn't like hearing that God had given him this. How many of you meet these people who tell you, I built this business, I built this organization, I did this, I did that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people tell me the stories of how bad things were until they came along and what they did. What God is telling Nebuchadnezzar, you have what you have, because I gave it to you. Friends, if you won't touch the glory, God can use you to do the impossible this morning. If you won't touch the glory, God will use you for doing miracles in other people's lives. It's the reason that I believe sometimes we don't see God working more in our lives is because we fail to praise him. When I prayed over our offering this morning, I reminded us there were 10 lepers healed. Nine of those boys had to be happy to be going home. Nine of those boys had to be happy going back to the work. Nine of those boys had to be happy to feel the touch of their wife's hand or to feel the hugs of their children. But only one of those 10 was made whole because he came back to give glory and honor to the one who touched him and healed him. Our greatest need is not for prosperity, our greatest need is not for health. Our need is to recognize the God in heaven who has blessed us with all things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the greatest need of our lives. So what I'd like you to take from these as lessons this morning, number one, God is our only hope. Philip Bliss, who wrote that powerful song, It Is Well With My Soul. Is it well with your soul this morning? Is it well, do you have peace in your heart? Do you lay down in your bed and sleep well at night? When you're away from your family, are you you untroubled? Is there there just peace in your heart? You see, when God is your hope, when you know that you're not in control, when you know that, thank God, the Republicans and the Democrats are not in control, (laughs) when you know the media is not in control, Last week, we looked at Jesus. Jesus knew the Pharisees, nor the Sadducees, nor the Romans were in control. Jesus looked Pilate eye to eye and said, you would have no power unless my Father gave it to you. Friends, this morning, our God is sovereign and in total and complete control today. We can trust him. Well, Sister Kate threw up a little flannel graph on the board one Sunday morning, and there was these... This idol that I just read to you about and talked to you about. And Nebuchadnezzar was commanding everybody to bow down and worship this idol. And so she throws the the picture up, and we're just, oh, we're looking at this beautiful idol she saw. And as she takes it down, and she's telling the story, she puts up another picture where everybody's bowing down except for three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And she says, boys and girls, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they love God so much, they would never bow and worship an idol. Hey, don't you ever worship an idol. Don't you ever love. Anybody more than you love Jesus? And we would sit there just taking it all in. And then she told the story of how Nebuchadnezzar got furious and he he bound them with ropes. And then she put the flannel graph up and there was a fiery furnace and there were the soldiers falling down because the heat of the fiery furnace was so intense. And they're tossing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there. And she goes, boys and girls, how many did they throw in? We go, three, Sister Kate. She says, how many do you see in there? Four, Sister Kate. And that fourth one was like the Son of God. You may go through the fire, but Jesus is always going to be in the fire with you, and he will bring you through. I'm telling you, Sister Kate was right. If you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through anything. (laughs) Hallelujah. She was right. I've seen that time after time again. You see, we serve a God that if we'll give him the glory, there is nothing impossible with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods, or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, you need to underline that phrase, even if he doesn't. You see, I think the thing that separates passionate followers of Christ from those at warm pews is that these people don't put conditions upon God. They know God is able, but they trust God's plan. If he brings them through the fire, they give him the glory. If he takes them on to heaven, they give him the glory. And that's what these young adults that are coming to us and saying, let us go and let us tell the people that it's against the law for them to know about Jesus. Let us go in these places. We'll get jobs, we'll do this. Just give us covering. Give us spiritual covering. And I watch these brave young men and women leaving and going into parts of the world in Sudan. We just had Bill and Karen Strong here. School teachers are going to Sudan and living in a village without any utilities or power that we know of. And they're going in where it's against the law to even to be a Christian to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Becky and I were having dinner with Bill and Karen in Dearborn a few months ago, well, back in the latter part of last year, and we were talking about the changes in their life and leaving their children and and the team they're going to be working with. I said, Bill, Karen, what made you decide to give up your careers? What made you decide to leave teaching, leave your business What made you decide to do this? And they said, night after night, we would dream about those who are locked away in countries that don't hear the gospel. Why should anyone hear twice until everyone gets to hear at least one time, they said. You see, our God is more than able, but if he does it, we're still not going to bow before these idols. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage, and he commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of his strongest men to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace, so they tied them up, fully dressed, threw them into the furnace, pants, turbans, robes, and garments, And because the king, in his anger, demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advice, I wish I could have seen that. Sister Kate made it so real. Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. So they stepped out of the fire. The high officials The high officers, the governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that fire had not touched them, not a hair on their hands was sins, not their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell of smoke. And what you have to understand is that Nebuchadnezzar had said to these three boys, he didn't want to lose their counsel. He didn't want to lose their advice. That's the reason he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. Nebuchadnezzar would have never done that if these three men were not valuable to him. And he said to them... What God can deliver you out of my hands? And there may be some people to today who are saying, your God doesn't exist. Your God is not real. You are a product of evolution. You were created in the image of God. Our God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on Calvary. One day he's coming again, and you and I will live forever triumphantly with Christ because our God reigns. Amen. Never, ever forget that. See, one of the lessons that I took away from this, I can still hear Kate saying, you need to be so good and work so hard in school and learn your Bible so well that people need you. you got to make yourself, in fact, Dennis, sit down, pay attention, be quiet. Dennis, listen. Listen. Kate would talk to me about healing. Kate would talk to me about these lessons. Kate would come visit me in the hospital. She's just such a part of my life. Kate was there every prayer meeting, every service. I saw in Kate something powerful. Kate who lived on the wrong side of town. Kate who lived with an abusive husband. Kate who lived in a part of town that was not where any of us would want to live or want our children to live. Later in life, when I moved back to Macon where our district offices were at, I would go see Kate in her little white house by that time, gangs had surrounded the house, but because she had loved them and shared the good news of Jesus, even as a feeble old woman, nobody would touch Kate's house. Nobody. She slept safe at night because even those that didn't love the Lord protected Kate. You see, Kate is able, was delivered because our God is able. And the place that you think you can't make it, the place that sometimes I think these young missionaries can't make it, there is a God in heaven that is able to protect you if you can stand. And the pull, and God will pull you through anything. God will pull you through anything. So do my friends who are on the far right, and they're prepping for the end of the world. This is not a godless world. Our God is in control. And if you'll pardon me, I know it's an overused word, but our God is an awesome God. He is an awesome God. Number two, Second lesson I want you to take is not only is God in control, but God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful even to lost people. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is going to forget what God has done for him through Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is going to let what all of us tend to let happen once in a while, pride go to our heads. Our achievements go to our heads. And so Daniel had been warned by the Lord, this is what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, he went to the king. He says, king, I, I got to warn you, unless you humble yourself, unless you repent, this is what's going to happen. King, you're going to lose your mind. Well, Nebuchadnezzar just brushed Daniel off as a passionate follower of the Lord. And, you know, maybe he was just getting a little extreme as he got older. So one day Nebuchadnezzar is walking around this famed city of Babylon that I told you about earlier. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look what I've built. Look what I've done. Look what I've conquered. And suddenly, because he refused to give God the glory, the Bible tells us, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He writes, because God will be merciful to him and God will restore him, he writes about how he wandered about like a beast in the field. His hair grew knotted and long. His, his nails and toenails, fingernails and toenails grew long. And he grazed like a, maybe like a cow or some other herbivore. He grazed in the pastures. He was literally out of his mind. And then when he repented, one day in a moment of lucidity, he realized what had happened to him. He repented of his sins And when he was restored from his insanity, he praised God. You see, friends, the lesson I take from this faithfulness of God is this. It is sheer insanity not to give God the glory for all that he's done for you and I. The definition of insanity to me is this, and you can disagree with me if you like, but the Bible will bear me out on this. The definition of insanity is to take unto yourself the glory that belongs only to God. The definition of insanity, and I'm not saying you're insane. I've worked with insane people. I've spent nights with insane people in the hospitals and counseled with them. I I know what I'm talking about there. But people, once in a while, I want to talk about our world becoming more insane as they talk about gun violence, as they talk about child predators, as they talk about pornography, as they talk about crime, as people talk about war and famine. They, they say, has the world gone insane? There is a simple answer to that. The more the world refuses to give God the glory, the more insane the world will become. The definition of sanity is to seek the Lord, to kiss the Lord, to worship the Lord, to serve Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And not just serving, but as Jesus said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But God is always merciful. And I know this bothers some people because God can take the most corrupt and the vile of people and God can save and rescue them in a moment. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about how God restored Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and this is his testimony. He is able to humble the proud. You see, the book of Daniel is not about Daniel, the book of Daniel is not about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The book of Daniel is not about Nebuchadnezzar. It's not about Darius. It's not about Cyrus. It's not about Belteshazzar. The book of Daniel is about God. And if you want to know what life is really all about, life is all about God. That's the reason that here at Woodland Church, we were to celebrate his love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So let me tag on to this lesson here for just a moment. And that is, we ruin ourselves. We ruin ourselves when we think more highly of ourselves than what we ought to. The Apostle Paul warns us about this. Think about yourself soberly, think about yourself with conviction. Don't think about yourself more highly than you should. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs and other places in the wisdom literature that, that if we will humble ourselves before God, God will lift us up. You see, it's better to humble ourselves before the Lord and allow God to lift us up because when I humble myself before the Lord, I begin to see the truth. And Jesus said that seeing the truth, knowing the truth, and doing the truth, by the way, it's that truth that will set us free. Is that truth that will set you free in your emotional life, in your relational life, in your professional life, in your family life? Is that truth that will make you free? because our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And sir, please hear me this morning, ma'am, please hear me this morning. If you are trying to run your own life, that's an offense to God. That is an offense to God when you want to be a self-made man. What pleases God? It's when you humble him, you seek his face, and you recognize that he's a loving, heavenly father and wants to give you the wisest and best of counsel and wants to save you and me from our sins and make us brand new creations in Christ. That's what God wants for us. But it's important to understand, and you need to hear me on this, because we're talking about grit. Guts, resilience, integrity, and testaciousness. Because what I'm going to say next is offensive to many people. We'll be kicking off a new series in September called Welcome Home. As everybody comes home from vacation in our community, I want you to really help me reach out and reach lost people and share with them the love of God. Invite them this series of messages your friends are going to want to hear. But you see, it offends some people that God has the right to judge us because God created us. And I want you to listen carefully. This is important. God has the absolute sovereign right to judge us. But instead, he chose to judge our sins in Christ Jesus at the cross. And rather than us bear the penalty of sin, if we'll put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he will save us from our sins. He will give us a brand new life. And we too can be a Daniel. Kate would look at us and say, God wants to make every one of you a Daniel. Don't you want to be a Daniel? Yes, Sister Kate. Do you want to end up like Nebuchadnezzar crazy as a loon? No, Sister Kate. Do you want to be smart? Yes, Sister Kate. Dennis, do you want to be smart? Be quiet and stop talking to other people and listen to me, Dennis. Kate would drill it into our heads. And we got the message. Study the power of God. Know the power of God. Read testimonies of what God has done in other people's lives. Feed your faith and starve your doubts. Believe your faith in God and start doubting your doubts about God. Because if you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. A friend of mine stood on the courts of the Los Angeles County Courthouse. Good friend. His wife had divorced him. She'd had an affair with another man. It had brought discredit to him and his ministry. And he stood there on the steps of that county courthouse in Los Angeles. And Mike was crying and he was weeping. Dinah had left him for another man, divorced him. And he said, God, it's over. It's over. Nobody's ever going to trust a pastor again whose wife left him and ran off with another man. I'm discredited in ministry. And while he stood there on those steps, he sat down just out of sheer frustration and fatigue and began to cry. And at that moment, God gave him a song that in the 70s became a Christian hit, if you want to use those words. God is working miracles in me. God is working miracles in me. From the seeds that I have planted, a harvest I will receive because God is working miracles in me. And Mike's ministry has gone on to touch more people through the rest of the world than he'd ever touched before. You are never down and out because God is always faithful. I think we should give him one more hand of praise. Well, let me wrap this up this morning. You see, serving God invites opposition as well. I wish I could tell you that when you become a Christian that everybody's going to love you, everybody's going to like you. David Newberry gave his heart to Christ years ago, and David said to me, I never had any problems until I became a Christian. He said, My family took care of everything. Everything was always good. But he says, When I became a Christian, he said, I started having all these problems. I said, What do you think that is? He says, I don't know. He says, But when I try to tell people about Jesus, friends that used to like me, they don't like me anymore. He says, My boss doesn't even like me anymore. You see, the fact that you become a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're the golden haired child, you are in the eyes of the Father. You are in the eyes of this church. But you see, we live in a world that forgets the goodness of God. You see, these men that Daniel had saved their lives because God had showed him the dream. After Nebuchadnezzar had died, he had some worthless sons. There's another wonderful story of Belteshazzar having a, a feast and this hand appears upon the wall. You probably heard the story. You see it a lot of times in science fiction movies, these words. You'll see it in history. You'll see it in poetry, meaning, meaning, tinkle, you harpson, which means you've been found weighed in the balances and found wanting. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Those words are part of the English language. They come from the book of Daniel. They become a part of our vernacular for assessment and judging. It comes a time where Cyrus has, excuse me, Darius has come in and he's set up his kingdom. But because Darius trusts this Jewish refugee, they see him king after king. Remember, 70 years, Harry Truman to today. They decide enough's enough. We've got to undercut. We've got to get this Jewish refugee. We've got to get rid of him. So, one more time, if my voice will hold up. Sister Kate throws up this final graph. And we go, oh! and there's this den full of hungry lions. She says, Boys and girls, Daniel is going to be thrown to those hungry lions. You know what lions do to people? Yes, they kill them, they eat them. That's right, they grind their bones. They crunch their heads. They eat them up. But you know why Daniel was thrown to the lions? She put her hands on her knees. She put her hands on her knees and she would look at us and she'd go, "Because he prayed. He prayed." You see, they decided to make a law. Nobody could pray to anybody except for the king. And Daniel, he loved God so much that he prayed every day. And he didn't go hide in his closet and pray in secret. No, he thrown up the windows. And he got right in front of the windows. And he got on his knees. And he lifted his hand. And he prayed loud. I don't know where she got that from. But he prayed loud. Oh, God, I worship you. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It says, then those men were spying on him. And they went to the king. He says, oh, king, you said nobody could pray except to you. And Daniel is praying to his God. So you've got to kill him, got to kill him. And so they threw Daniel in the lion's den. And guess what? God sent an angel, and Daniel made a pillow out of the lion's paw. He did. He slept on that lion's paw all night long. And the next morning, the king throwed open the door to the lion's inn because he loved Daniel. He really did. And he says, oh, Daniel, was your God able to save you? And he says, yes, oh, king, my God sent an angel to save me. Friends, I don't care what you're facing this morning. Our God is able to save and deliver from all the lions and all the dragons and anything else hell can throw at you and I. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, serving God sometimes makes people oppose you. And to be a passionate follower of Christ, you've got to be willing to face that. Let's look at the scriptural background. And Mark, you can Come on up, dear brother. Marius, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. And the king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Isn't that amazing? Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. You know what you call that? Grit. Guts, resilience, integrity, and tenaciousness for 70 years. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a king named Asa. Asa started out well. He loved the Lord. For 35 years, Asa ruled well in the fear of God. But then he let the success go to his head. And he stopped seeking the Lord. You see, I want you to finish well this morning. Young people, I want you to start well, but I want you to finish well. Sir, if you're 64 or older, I want you to finish well. One day we're going to stand before the Lord. And I want to hear him say, well done. I want to be there and hear him say to you, Wendy, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Bill, well done. Kim, you put up with Bill, well done. That's what he's going to say to Becky about Dennis. I want to hear him say, Paul, well done. Tony, well done. Because it's not starting and it's not going halfway. The Tigers never get any credit for leaving three men on base. You got to cross home plate. You got to cross home plate. Well, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connections with the rules of his religion. And that's where they made the law. You can't pray. You see, one day this world is coming to an end. But already today, the book of Revelation says in chapter 11, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. My children have all made the pilgrimage to Kate's little home we've prayed as a family with thanksgiving for Kate's life and just said to the Lord and I've said to them a lot of the reason I'm here what I'm doing today is because of Kate's influence in my life But the song I remember Kate two songs I remember Kate singing over and over She would would conclude those Sunday school lessons by saying, children, let's sing into my heart. And we would sing into my heart, into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. She'd ask us every week to pray the same prayer. Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? And then we would sing, Into my heart, into my heart. Our other favorite song was, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You see, Kate had cultivated and that difficult life that she had she had cultivated an expectation of heaven. God blessed her with a long life. God blessed her with a fruitful life. I believe Daniel had that expectation of heaven. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew. It didn't matter how high you went in the kingdom. But when you die, you either die in Christ are you die separated from God. Kate also taught us how important it was to be a part of a community of faith. She loved us. And it's amazing to me, I had all these bags. At one time, I had these braces. But with the exception of one other boy in that class I'm the only one left living. Jesus has always been faithful. They died in faith. They died a part of a community of faith. And I want to say something that you need to remember for this series, Welcome Home. Your friends need Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. Your family needs Jesus. I don't know what Kate's prayer closet was like, but I believe that she continuously sought the Lord in our behalf because so many of us went on to love and serve the Lord. And finally, Kate taught me this. The only righteousness that I have comes from Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, I dedicated this message to a woman you've never met. But if you were to ask my sisters about Kate, their faces would light up. If you were to ask some of my friends that are now in heaven about Kate, they would tell you what a shaping influence she had on her life. You may not understand this, and you may not even believe this about yourself. But the reason I'm talking to you about grit is because God has given you influence. God's given you influence with children, God's given you influence with your neighbors, with your classmates, with your colleagues. And it will take some grit. But you can leverage that influence for the good of your friends. Just like Daniel did for those astrologers and those soothsayers, those so-called wise men. Like he did with Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Darius. God will use you this morning if you'll just simply apply these lessons to your life. and If you're not a follower of Jesus, then can I invite you today to invite him into your heart? You say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's very simple. You just pray this prayer after me. You don't have to use my exact words, but you pray sincerely and you just pray quietly. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for judging my sins in Christ. Thank you for choosing not to condemn me, but to save me. I hereby today renounce my sins. That's your moral failures, my moral failures, and I invite Jesus to be the Lord the master and the ruler of my life. For it's in his precious name I pray. Amen. And friends, if you did that, God's as good as his word. He's forgiven you of all your sins. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may he give you grace to seek him all the days of your life. For as long as you seek the Lord, God will cause things to go well for you. God bless you. Have a great weekend.